Hello, South Dakotans. Welcome to the Dakota Rustler Show, aiming to keep America, its citizens, and minds free. Now, here's your host, Daryl Root. Hello, and welcome to the Dakota Rustler Show, episode number 87, entitled Sucking the Government Teeth, because that's what everybody seems to do nowadays, and I'm going to give examples of it in each one of my tidbit sections. Uh, for all you new listeners out there who may not have heard the show before, what I do is I simply rustle up some news from the past week or so, make a few quick comments on them, present the facts of them, and you can think what you want after I am finished. Uh, I need to give my usual shout out to Danheim, the provider of all the music used on this podcast. You can look them up on Spotify, Facebook, YouTube. And also I give a shout out to Arbel Kimmick, who provides all the voiceovers for the show. She can be found at Arbel bellvoiceoverartist.com and if you need any of the spellings and you're watching the video version of this podcast you can see how that is done in the credits at the end of the show so let's get right into it number one biden declares emergencies for california storms and alabama tornadoes President Joe Biden approved an emergency declaration for California after recent storms killed at least 19 people and brought floods, power outages, mudslides, evacuations, and road closures to the state. Biden also approved an emergency declaration for Alabama a day later after at least nine people died in tornadoes that destroyed homes and knocked out power to tens of thousands in that state. The president can declare a major disaster for any natural event, including any hurricane, tornado, storm, tidal wave, tsunami, earthquake, volcanic eruption, drought, fire, you name it, you know, etc., etc., regardless of the cause that the president determines has caused damage of severity that is beyond the combined capabilities of state and local governments to respond to. A major disaster declaration provides a wide range of federal assistance programs for individuals and public infrastructure, including funds for both emergency and permanent work. For the record, FEMA only provides grants that do not have to be paid back. The grants may cover expenses for temporary housing, home repairs, replacement of damaged personal property, and other disaster-related needs such as medical, dental, or transportation costs not covered by insurance or other programs. You know, the problem with grants is that no payback rules encourage people to, and local governments to permit, building in areas that people otherwise would not accept as feasible. You know, building in disaster-prone areas, in my opinion, should not be covered. You can look at all the beachfront properties that are destroyed in hurricanes. You know it's going to get deluged with huge tidal waves you know 
Why is government paying for building in stupid areas? Look at New Orleans. It's underground, and the only thing protecting it is a levee. If they get flooded out, FEMA should not be bailing them out. They're building in an area that obviously gets hit by natural disasters. You know, tornadoes can hit anywhere, so maybe I'm okay with that. Florida, they're building in a lot of areas that are subject to fires year in and year out. Every place has its disaster area, but I'm not sure government should be paying for this. People should have to pay for insurance. If you build a home in a flood zone, you're supposed to have government-provided flood insurance that you pay for if you're outside of that it's safer you don't need it but why are we allowing people to build in these zones in the first place it's it's just crazy you know so yeah fema is allowing people to mooch off the government for putting homes where they shouldn't be putting them number two the thought of 13,000 acres of prized farmland switched to a $1.5 billion solar energy project seems to have been so unthinkable that it demanded an extraordinary response. Within months of the project being proposed, Connie Ehrlich had mobilized her wealth to fund a flurry of lawsuits and also spend $3 million buying new plots of land, including a cemetery, on the fringes of the project. She even acquired an office next door to the solar developer's own premises, and in it is a cartoon that has been placed on the window showing Joe Biden shoveling cash into the mouths of solar developers, depicted as pigs in a sty, which quite honestly is what a lot of us have become. You know, we're pigs in a sty, waiting for the government to throw us a bunch of slop for feed and give us everything we desire. We need to quit being lazy we need to be self-responsible self-reliant too many people are mooching off a of government and this includes you know the turbine industry how many subsidies did they get now solar's getting subsidies we're subsidizing evs and that's coming up in a later story today it's getting crazy Localized battles over new solar projects threaten to proliferate as the industry, enhanced by the huge tax credits available for clean energy and the Inflation Reduction Act, <coughs> yeah, right, seeks to expand. Over the past year, solar projects in Ohio, Kentucky, and Nevada have all been delayed or sunk by basically pissed-off local people. Ordinances restricting solar, wind, and other renewable energy facilities have been passed in 31 states. Some people have a brain. Some people know these are shouldn't be done, at least not with government money. The U.S., in its efforts to zero out its carbon emissions by 2050, would have to grow more than 20-fold, occupying an area that would be equivalent to the size of West Virginia. According to a policy manager at our American Farmland Trust, about half of solar development is going on the best, most productive farmland, and that is causing some concern. 
However, when the other side of the argument is a farmer who says, quote, you can dream of a better project for us. The money helps. Well, of course it does. He has a thousand plus acres in Stark County that will be leased for the next three decades at 1,000 an acre per year. So do the math, people. That's over $1 million a year for 30 years. Of course he's going to be a fan. Construction began on his land earlier this year. His logic is that he already harvests the sunlight for his crops and considers fears of food shortages by taking cropland out of production are overblown. Why? Well, 40% of all U.S. corn is already mashed up for another form of energy, ethanol, which is added to gasoline. Farmers are also routinely paid by the federal government to keep tracts of land free from crops in order to bolster the price of corn. So, yeah, uh, maybe he's right. Maybe these areas should be put up for solar. I'm not a fan of solar farms. I love the turbines. I'm not a fan of solar because they do take farmland out of production. But, hey, you form your own opinion. And as for land rights, hey, if a farmer wants to sell his land for solar production, let him do so. His neighbor should not be allowed to say no. All right, with that, I think we're going to take a break and we'll get back to the other three stories I have today in about 50 seconds. things Dakota Rustler related, please visit dakotarustler.org. The website contains links to media sites, a merchandise store, and a button to donate to the show. Your support helps to pay for expenses of production, as well as research time. Feedback is appreciated, and comments or topic ideas can be sent to the email address listed on the website. Sponsorships are also available if you have a business to promote. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back to the Dakota Rustler Show. Let's get into the next three topics. All right. How much aid has the U.S. sent to the Ukraine? Well, let's get into it. Every year, the United States sends billions of dollars in aid, much more than any other country, to beneficiaries around the world in pursuit of its security, economic, and humanitarian interests, or so they at least claim. In 2022, the Biden administration and the U.S. Congress have directed nearly $50 billion in assistance to Ukraine, which includes humanitarian, financial, and military support. Most of the aid has been military-related. Aid to Ukraine from January 24th through November 20th of last year totaled $48 billion. Humanitarian aid included $9.9 billion, or 21%, which provides health care, refugee support, etc. There's been $15.1 billion, or 31%, going towards financial aid. And then there's the military aid part of it, which totals $22.9 billion. 
8.9 billion of that, which represents 19% of the total, provides training, equipment, weapons, logistics support, and other related assistance. Weapons and equipment have totaled 12.7 billion, or 27% of the total, which that provides weapons and equipment from Defense Department stocks provided through presidential drawdowns. And there has been 1.3 billion in grants and loans for weapons and equipment. Personally, I just throw that in with the weapons and equipment. Military aid to the Ukraine totals more than all aid to all other countries combined. However, as a percentage of GDP, the U.S. actually ranks ninth in aid to Ukraine, with Estonia ranking first. Canada, to my mild surprise, actually ranked just ahead of the U.S. in eighth. Many Western analysts say the military aid provided by the United States and other allies has played a pivotal role in Ukraine's defense and counteroffensive against Russia, and that failure to do so would encourage Russian President Vladimir Putin's aims, and also invite similar aggression from other rival powers such as China and maybe even North Korea. Despite all the aid, Ukraine still begs for more advanced equipment such as modern battle tanks and longer-range missile systems. So far, donor governments have been unwilling to provide them, worried that doing so could escalate the war. If you've listened to past episodes of the show, you know that I do not support the war in Ukraine. I think it is Europe's problem. They should provide all the financing to defend Ukraine. We need to get out of there. We have much many other problems which need to be addressed here in the U.S. and in the Americas in general. Let's spend money there if we're going to spend them, not in the Ukraine. I mean, you can take a look at Haiti, you know, and that country. They basically have no government right now. Every government worker, you know, with their parliament is gone. They have no parliament right now. It's country's being run by thugs you know maybe we should spend some money there instead of ukraine but let's move on number four you know next on the list of people wanting to suck up money from the u.s japan last month announced its biggest military build-up since world war ii a dramatic departure from the seven decades of pacifism largely fueled by concerns about chinese actions in the region as well as north korea and of course biden wants to throw money their way the U.S. and Japanese foreign and defense ministers met last week and announced increased security cooperation following nearly two years of talks, and U.S. officials praised Tokyo's military build-up plans. I uh, certainly wouldn't have thought of that a number of decades ago. <laughs> I've said it before, you know, a third world war isn't likely, but... Considering everything that's going on in the world today, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think we should be pitching in, you know, bringing it to a closer possibility. Japan's military reform plan will see it double defense spending to 2% of its GDP and procure missiles that can strike ships or land-based targets 600 miles away. For comparison... 
The U.S. ranks third in spending per GDP on military at 3.5%, trailing only Saudi Arabia and Russia in that order. Biden and the Prime Minister Kashida are expected to discuss security issues and the global economy as well as control of semiconductor-related exports to China after Washington announced curbs last year. Japan wants to increase military spending and Biden seems willing to help. Number five. The U.S. Energy Department said it will lend Australia-based Ioneer Limited up to $700 million to build its Rhyolite Ridge Lithium Mining Project in Nevada. Well, at least they used the word lend instead of give or grant. This is considered a major step forward in President Joe Biden's plan to develop a domestic electric vehicle supply chain. Naturally, Ioneer shares of stock shot through the roof upon this announcement. So, yeah, President Alzheimer's and the Nazi green, the green Nazi guys, you know, they can send stock through the roof just by announcing a deal with a company. The loan, I use that term loosely, would be the first by Washington to a U.S. mining project for lithium, a key ingredient used to make electric vehicle batteries. It reflects rising government concern that demand for the white metal could outstrip supply without more investment, delaying efforts to combat global climate change. So once again, instead of perhaps warming the planet, which nature does so much better than us to begin with, we would rather pollute the land with more toxic metal production because, let's face it, everywhere this stuff is mined, it gets polluted. Hey, I can breathe warmer air, assuming I haven't been chemical to death in the process. The loan is conditional on permitting and other factors, one of which follows shortly. The funds would be used to build a lithium carbonate processing facility at the Rhyolite Ridge site near an existing lithium operation run by Albemarle Corporation, which I mentioned in the past. It's a company from North Carolina. A 2020 study had estimated the mine's cost is about $785 million, which means the taxpayer is funding around 87% of the cost minus any supposed paybacks, which, looking at college loan bailouts and the way paybacks go in that business, and yeah, need I say more, you know, it could end up being a grant. The mine would supposedly produce enough lithium to build 370,000 EVs each year and reduce annual gasoline consumption by nearly 145 million gallons, according to the Energy Department. Ford and Toyota and Panasonic have already made commitments to buy lithium if approved. However, here is one of the conditional factors. A flower may stand in the way. Team's buckwheat, a rare flower at the project site, is considered an endangered species. As a result, Ioneer changed its mine plan to avoid the buckwheat and has spent more than $1 million on botanists, greenhouses, and related studies. So, I guess we can put the 
buckwheat flower at number one on the list of a million species that are alleged to be in danger of extinction. I have yet to see an official list of those one million species, and I suppose I never will because, let's face it, it's only a wild, exaggerated guess. Nobody could conceivably put that list together. And with that, I want to thank you for listening. You know the mantra of the show. Question authority and always be free. Thank you for listening to the Dakota Rustler Show, a production of DL Root, Buzzsprout.com, and their affiliates. Any unauthorized use of this show is prohibited. Until next time, have a great day, and don't forget to subscribe.